Welcome to the Wild at Heart podcast here in the week of August 21st. I'm Alan Arnold, and today we're wrapping up a four-part series that we call Deeper. If you have not had a chance to listen to the first three sessions, we invite you now to go ahead and do that. Each one builds on the last, and so you'll want to have the full experience. But this week in the series conclusion, John offers insights and even answers some questions from the attendees about the hour that we find ourselves in. Now, before we go into that, we're going to pause and just release everything to God. Father, we love you, we worship you, and we give ourselves fully to you right now. With all of the distractions and the craziness and the chaos of the world, We turn from that, and we turn our gaze to you. God, everyone and everything we release to you right now. Every person, every event, every deadline, every demand and distraction, God, we open our hands and we release them to you. God, allow us to focus fully on what you have for us right now. God, speak to us. Let the words that come from this podcast be words of life that draw people to you, God, that draw us to you, to your river of life. We love you. We love you, Father, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we go in the final session with John Eldridge. So in terms of just some more spiritual fathering and mothering, um, lessons that we're learning, things that are proving helpful, this, this is going to surprise you, but I need to warn you about the danger of sincerity. The danger of sincerity. Because you are all such sincere people. And the booby trap of sincerity is this, is that you will be moved to do things out of your good heart, out of sincerity that God is not up to. And Usually, when you are operating out of sincerity, you are operating in your own strength. And it's sneaky. It's really sneaky. But um, I'm just going to riff on some different things that are interrelated. One of the most important questions that if I were to sit with you as a marriage counselor, I would ask you, how do you make decisions? How do you make decisions? After experience like this, I really hope the answer is we ask God. We ask God. You live, you are, you are sheep among wolves. I send you out like sheep among wolves. You are living in an incredibly dangerous, violent, and increasingly evil world. Please, please, please ask God. Should we sell our house? 
Is it time to change careers? What vacation do you want us to have this summer? Where, you know, just everything. Are we still in the right church? Is it time to move? Just like, just allowing the intimacy of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit into the way you make decisions together. Okay, please, please, I beg of you. Because sincerity is insufficient. It doesn't equal the will of God. But when you operate out of sincerity, you tend to operate out of your own strength. And that is not a good place to live from either. <clears throat> uh, I'm just, I'm just going to start just saying some things. And you can kind of file these away, and then God will bring them back to you when they're helpful. Daily, 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 hour to hour, you must surrender the self-life. Okay, the self-life. This is Jesus talks about taking up your cross to follow me. There, there, there is within us a self-life that wants to drive the bus. The self-life is the part of you that gets offended easily at things. It's the part of you that holds grudges. It's the part of you that doesn't want to forgive people. The self-life is the part of you that wants the first place in line, the biggest piece of pie, the, just all that, okay? The self-life. <clears throat> and the self-life, here's what's really sneaky. The self-life isn't necessarily like overtly evil. It's just the self-life. It, it, it is the self in the driver's seat instead of God. And, and so, um, riff a little bit for a moment on Jesus Revolution, the film. Uh, some of you have seen it, some of you haven't. I won't be a big spoiler alert, but it's about the revival that took place in the late 60s, early 70s, started in Southern California, swept the country, jumped across the ocean, swept Europe. Um, <clears throat> Stacy and I came to Christ as a result of that revival. Craig and Lori did. Steve here in the room did. Bart and Tana did. I mean, it, it, that revival birthed this. How cool is that? Okay, so we were a pri and it was Jesus, it was Jesus. But, but what the film accurately portrays is that falling out, you know, between the leaders in there and the split in, in the Calvary Chapel movement that then eventually birthed the Vineyard movement. It's the self-life. It's the self-life. This is the thing that destroys ministries. It's the thing that destroys marriages. It is the self-life. It's like, yeah, there's some gifting, yeah, there's some anointing, but there's a whole lot of self in there, right? And the self keeps taking the driver's wheel away from the Holy Spirit in their lives. The self-life, man, it, it's not your friend. I know it feels like it is. It wants to be cudgeled and comforted and entertained and all that, but you must, you must, you must surrender the self-life daily, hourly. So, so, so important. <clears throat> um, just riffing on things. There is a difference between revelation and interpretation. Uh, you hear something from God. You see something from God. You read a scripture that leaps off the page to you and it feels like a promise. Please ask for interpretation. Right? Because like people will be in a time of prayer and they'll see a big billboard that says now. And they'll and they will bring the interpretation to it of 
you know, Yolanda was saying, but it's just the things I want to be true, you know, right? And so you've got to ask for interpretation. Now what? Now quit? Now persevere? Now retreat? Now advance? Like revelation is not the same thing as interpretation. And what gets people really messed up in this world of you know, kind of being amphibians is you do get revelation, you do see things, you do hear words from God, and they bring their own interpretation to it. Is this making sense? This is really, really important, right? And so when we teach on listening prayer, you know, I use the phrase, ask the next question. Okay, like, um, Jesus, why is that picnic basket there, right? Ask the next question. Where are we going now, Lord? What are we doing? Well, the same thing is true of Revelation. Please, I please beg of you, don't just bring your interpretation to things that you think you've received from God because people do that and then it doesn't happen and it breaks their heart and they, they feel like ostracized from God. And it was just because it was an incorrect interpretation. The promise is true, the word is true. The, the, it, it's just that you, they brought something or someone else brought what they thought was the correct interpretation to it. Please ask God to interpret things that you receive in the kingdom, okay? Really helpful. <clears throat> um, okay, a couple more things. So, um, As we were praying this morning, I made the comment, I hope that you bring your kingdom under the rule and authority of Jesus every day. Please, please do that. And it would be very helpful if you prayed for a hedge of protection or a canopy to be created around your home, your office, your vehicles, the things that you own. Okay? You can't have it over your city. You don't have jurisdiction over the city. Okay? But you can ask for it over the things that are yours. Please establish that canopy in prayer daily and ask that it is sealed with the blood of Christ. Because as Morgan was saying, when he and I were doing our deliverance thing years ago with Art, Art said, it's a lot better when the warfare is on the outside, <laughs> personally, but also in your kingdom. You know, if you can get a hedge of protection around the things that, that matter to you, seal that with the blood of Christ or a canopy. I prefer a canopy, um, the language. But um, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever you pray, get that done. Because that's going to keep a lot of things simply out of your kingdom. And, and you're not going to have to battle that stuff until you go out into the world. <clears throat> Speaking of the world... Most people don't think of the world as an essentially hostile place. Um, they, they think of the world as like Switzerland. You know, it's like a neutral country. There's the, there's the kingdom of God. There's the kingdom of darkness. That's Colossians 1.13. You know, but then most people just think of the world as a fairly benign and benevolent place. It's not. There are only two kingdoms. There aren't three. There are only two kingdoms in the world, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, and things are either in one or the other. The world is the puppet of the evil one, right? First John 5, he says, now the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. <clears throat> so 
you heard me pray this morning, I just on a regular basis, I'm like, yeah, blood of Christ between us, cross of Christ between us and the world, cutting off the world, because there's a great deal of corruption. Well, what does James says? He says, this is pure religion in the sight of God our Father to love orphans and widows in their distress. What's the rest of the sentence? And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay? The world wants to stain, corrupt, mar, smudge, blur, fog, veil, numb, sedate, just all that stuff. Anger, enrage you, you know, all that stuff, right? Like, uh, I, I, I just would rather keep the kingdom of God and the victory of Christ between me and the world, between my kingdom and the world. So it's, it's part of those prayers. Just giving some spiritual fathering right now. You can tuck these things away and pull them out when they're helpful, okay? Um, the three main forces at work in the world right now are hatred, hatred, demonic hatred, full tilt. Um, yes, it gets into human relationships, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not the Republicans, it's not the Democrats, it's not Trump, it's not Biden, okay? It's not Hollywood, it's not Disney, okay? <clears throat> yes, there are fallen people doing fallen things. I am talking about we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There is demonic hatred in the world today. And I, when I come under it, oh, I just feel awful. You just feel like, oof. You don't feel loved. You don't feel well. You don't feel connected to God. Um, and, and I'll ask Jesus, like I'll literally feel it physically. I'll be like, whoa, like what is this? And he says, this is hatred. This is hatred in the world. It's demonic hatred. So bring the love of God against it. Bring the love of God. I command the love of God. In Deuteronomy 4, it says our God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So the fire love of God, okay, the consuming fire is his love. I bring the fire love of heaven against hatred in all the ways it's coming against me and my household. You're gonna find that to be helpful. The second of the three major things that are out there in the world right now is, uh, um, so I was awoken, <clears throat> this, is, this is a while ago now, four months ago, woke up in the middle of the night, not unusual, um, facing something. But this time the warfare was outside the canopy, which was really nice. Um, and Jesus wanted to show me something. And I went, okay, because what I'm seeing, Lord, is a vast demonic horde, army. And I'm like, what are you showing me? And Jesus said, this is the last army. It's just been released. And I'm like, what is it? And he said, primarily it's death, destruction, and decreation, the three Ds, death, destruction, and decreation. And holy cow, man, like all of the all of the unexplained deaths that are going on in the world right now, like pretty bizarre if you're following that news, people just dying for reasons that science can't figure out. Um, but then also, you know, death in marriages, you know, kids taking their lives, all that stuff. <clears throat> Destruction and decreation. This is where the river of life is a really big help, okay? I bring the river of life against all death, destruction, and decreation. 
in my kingdom, in my realm. It's really helpful. <clears throat> and then the third guy, um, I do believe that this is the hour of the abomination. The abomination that causes desolation that Daniel talks about, Jesus talks about, Paul talks about. Um, there's no third temple. There isn't going to be, the Dome of the Rock isn't going to get blown up by, you know, Israeli fundamentalists and then, and then they're going to rebuild the Jewish temple. Not going to happen. That was 1970s evangelical prophecy stuff, okay? That, that, and this is the thing, this is the thing. Oh, it's so crazy making. Um, people take things out of the book of Revelation and they bring their own interpretation to it. You see that? Okay, I, I'm gonna set you free on a whole lot of stuff real quick here. First off, the book of Revelation is not chronological because the birth of Jesus takes place halfway through it. And you're like, wait, what? Yes, it's talking about things of the end, and then all of a sudden you have the birth of Christ. The book, the book of Revelations is not chronological. But people have tried to read into it this like map of the end of things. We need this and this and this and this kind of thing. Not helpful. It is so highly apocalyptic. It, like Most people are bringing their interpretation to it. Oh, this is what it means. There's no third temple. Okay, so when the abomination that causes desolation, desecrates the temple. Daniel foresaw this. Where's the temple? It is your hearts, precious ones, okay? And this is why I am convinced we are really, really, really close to the end because that sucker is out there and he is bringing desolation, desecration, and apostasy, the three things that he's told he's gonna bring to the human heart. Okay, so <clears throat> glory of God, the glory of God, it works. I bring the glory of the living God against all desolation or desecration or unbelief, apostasy, dullness, fogness, whatever, however you're experiencing that. I mean, guys, I like, <laughs> I like, I wake up some mornings and this warfare is on me so thick, in 10 seconds, I could be apostate. I'm like, God doesn't exist. This is, all, this is all rubbish. And I go, no, 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 I know, I know who this is. I know this guy. I bring the glory of the living God against this, and boy, I'm back. Jesus is back. We're good. My heart's fine, but I'm telling you, it helps. It helps. Those are the three main players. Questions? Yeah. I've been thinking, how do you incorporate this into your family life as a mother, as a father? Like, I know you guys all have experience, and I just would love to hear some practical lifestyle things about not only just having your time in Eden, but teaching your children these tools so that they can defend themselves. They will get it like this. Yeah. It's so, it's so fun. Yeah. And so like hearing the voice of God, teach your kids to hear the voice of Jesus. They will hear it far more clearly than you do because they don't have all this other stuff in the way, right? And then encountering Jesus and doing prayer times with them and going places with Jesus. You've read, you've listened to the pause app and the little eight-year-old boy who Jesus offers him a sandwich and he says, do you want to go halfers? Yeah, I mean, that is just darling, right? Easy for them. I would say, go for it. Mm -hmm. and you wake up in the morning 
Mm-hmm. What data point do you take from that? Is there anything that you learned from that or have learned from that that, that may not happen again? Uh, the question was, you create the canopy in your bedtime prayers, but sometime during the night something gets in. What's the data? What do we learn from that? Um, if it's recurring, you want to ask Jesus, why? Is there something in my house that's letting it in? Did we have a guest come and stay here who opened a door? You know, you want, but it, guys, this war, this, yeah, like the canopy works mostly, but it doesn't work perfectly because this is war, okay? But here's what I do. The thing is, once they've breached your canopy, full and final judgment. These guys, they have violated now their boundaries. And so don't bind things anymore. Binding things lasts about a day. They, they get out of the binding, they come back, okay? You, I do one of two things. Send them to the feet of Jesus for judgment, if you're more comfortable with that, or just call down their full and final judgment in the room, right? We were, we were in a really awesome deliverance of a guy a couple of weeks ago. He had two really significant foul spirits, and one of them was just so belligerent. So I just had him decreated. I'm like, you're not obeying, so full and final judgment in the name of Jesus, and dunk, you know, he's gone. And I turn to the next guy, and I'm like, and you? He's like, yes, 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 throne of Jesus. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Like, he couldn't get out of there fast enough. Okay, so you have authority. Full and final judgment on these guys. No tolerance policy, gang. No tolerance anymore. Um, how much authority do you have over your adult children, especially once they're married? And um, it, 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 it decreases as they leave your kingdom. <clears throat> and so if you have adult children who live with you, you have a lot of authority over them. If you have adult children who live alone, but you still support them, <laughs> you have a lot of authority over it, okay? If you have adult children who have married and are now starting households of their own, they're now several rings out in terms of the amount of authority you can exercise there. Now, um, to add to that, but you have a ton of authority in the kingdom of God. And so praying things like blessing, love, protection, guidance, all that, all that still works. They're just not under your authority like they used to be, and you can't act like it. And that's one of those big trust God things. Oh, so in my, in my, in my morning prayers, um, I used to include Sam, Blaine, and Luke. I mean, it was just in my language. It was just, and I do all this for Sam, Blaine, Luke, da da da, da the cross of Christ over Sam, da da, the resurrection over Sam, Blaine, da da. Um, that's not in my prayers anymore. I have to let that go, and I have to trust them to God. Yeah, but I pray a bunch of other stuff for them. Right? Yep. So, what would you say about the next great wave? And where do you think we are? <laughs> 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 kind of waiting for somebody to ask that question. <clears throat> what do I think about the next great awakening and where are we? Um, we are living at the end of the age. Now, that's totally biblical. I'm not just winging off on prophecy there. John, in his epistle, says, Dear children, this is the last hour. That was 
you know, 2,000 years ago, was the last hour. So that puts us where? Yeah, seconds. Final tick of the clock. Okay, so that's just biblical. I'm not winging off on, on wild prophecy. Um, this is the end of the age, especially because the abominations out there and the things that are happening. <clears throat> um, I wanted to say some things about this, and I really want to be guided by Jesus as I do. So, uh, self-life through the cross. Um, It is, it is important for the people of God to understand their hour. Jesus is really frustrated with the people of his day when he says, you know how to judge like the sunrise and sunset? And you don't even know how to read the times? He, he says it with almost contempt. Like he's frustrated. He wants his people to understand their hour. Their hour, okay? So... Um, there was a bad teaching that got into the church that said, yeah, you can't really know anything about the end, uh, so don't think about it. But that's actually not what Jesus says. Matthew 24 is an entire chapter of what he calls signs. Well, why would he give you signs if you weren't supposed to look for them? And he constantly said, not constantly, often he's saying things like watch and pray. He even says, do not let my return catch you unawares. He says that. Jesus does. So that was really bad teaching because it caused a lot of people to just go, you know, la, 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 la. I just don't want to hear about it. Don't want to think about it. Not helpful. Um, <clears throat> so, so that. Your personal convictions on this are deeply personal. And, and they really need to be arrived at through your intimacy with God, with their Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, okay? I, I really need to say that because this, this is a matter of deep personal conviction that really needs to be clarified. I completely understand why Jesus doesn't tell most people what's up because they don't have the maturity to handle it. They'll do dumb things. They'll, they'll either do like really dumb things like, you know, sell our house and, you know, go on vacations and buy a bunch of cars and like, because it's like, if I, hey, if, hey, if he's coming back, I'm not paying my taxes, man. <clears throat> right? There, there's immaturity out there. Um, but, or they'll do things like they're going to run through the neighborhood banging on people's doors saying, Jesus is coming back. You need him. And, and that isn't, that evangelism doesn't work. Your neighbors are just going to think you are a crackpot. Um, and, and it causes them to pull away from Jesus. Do, so do you see the maturity it takes to walk with a clear understanding? It's why he doesn't tell most people. Um, and, and I really appreciate that. I understand it personally. Um, but I would encourage you to ask him, where are we? Where are we? And don't bring your interpretation to it. Uh, oh, this is fascinating. I wanted to read this verse too. Uh, so, hey, er, this is, this is Matthew 11. <clears throat> Matthew 11. This is a remarkable moment with Jesus and his disciples. They're trying to figure out who John the Baptist is. And Jesus says, well, he's, uh, he's a voice crying in the wilderness. He, and then he goes on to say, 
He's actually, since uh, before the coming of the kingdom of God, he's the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. And John doesn't do a single miracle. And he's the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Fascinating. And then he says this. I love this phrase. He says, and mm, for those of you who can accept it, he is Elijah. He is Elijah returned to prepare the way for my coming. <laughs> I love the phrase, mm, if you can accept it, he is Elijah. <laughs> it's like that saying, I am Iron Man. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> um, because he understands it's very difficult. Um, most of the things that you are experiencing from God or not, most of the things you want to hear from God and aren't, are regulated by your ability to accept it. It's just, it's just the way it goes, you know? Um, and so, you know how this, I mean, there are some things I'm way too emotionally tied up in that I just can't hear God on. And, and that's, that's just me, not him. I'm just, I'm too tied in knots about it. Um, and so he says, if you can accept it, he's Elijah. Now, he doesn't look like Elijah, and he doesn't, like, bring back the kingdom of God. It's really, it's really interesting. Um, but he's a remarkable, remarkable figure. Um, so I will tell you several things. In, in my moments of greatest surrender, and this will be how, if you want a really, really good exercise, what you do is you get into a place of total and complete surrender. I give you everything. I don't need to launch a new company. I don't need to buy a new house. I don't need to fix my kids. I don't need to do anything. I literally release it all. I have nothing more I have to accomplish, no one else to rescue. I surrender everything. That's a really beautiful place to get to. And in that place, ask him, where are we? And how close are you? So in terms of a next great awakening, I, I'm not sure that scripture promises a great awakening before the return of Christ. I am sure that every heart that is to be rescued will be rescued. I am sure of that. Which is why I walk through Whole Foods praying for people's hearts to be unveiled. Here's what we can do. We can pray for the unveiling. We pray for the unveiling of every human heart to the revelation of Jesus. We pray for the unveiling of every human soul to the revelation of Jesus, to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And now you can just quietly name those that you are interceding for. We are praying for the unveiling of every heart to the revelation of Jesus. We're just going to stay in this as you name people and, and communities and people groups. The unveiling of every heart to the revelation of Jesus, to the encounter of Jesus. Just keep naming them. The unveiling 
the unveiling of their hearts, Lord. Remove the veil. Remove the veils over the hearts of the people that we are interceding for right now. Lord Jesus, we open the Eden gate to our loved ones that they would experience this also. That as we go back into our worlds, we are able to bring this to those who you want us to share it with, Lord. And we open the Eden gate for them. They would experience this and know how real you are, how accessible you are and your kingdom the unveiling of every heart to the revelation of Jesus Christ and salvation in him alone. I hope this series has been good for your heart and soul. And even though we've concluded the series with this podcast, you can drink from this well again and again, going through the encounters and experiences that John and Stacy lead several times. So. I hope that you will continue to go deeper with God, that this was just the beginning of the journey that he has you on. We'll see you next week on the Wild at Heart podcast.